Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. I'm your host, Chad Ford, and my guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Welcome back. First podcast together for 2001. Aloha, Chad, and what a what a 2001 it's been. It's like one of those days, how many days are we going to go without an incident, and 2001 is already um, trying to tell 2020 to hold my beer. Yeah, totally. There is good news in that the 2021 NBA draft looks like it's going to be an upgrade on the 2020 draft. We're hoping the entire 2021 year is an upgrade over 2020, but at least in the early going, this looks like a pretty strong 2021 NBA draft. Well, I think especially at the top, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited. Uh, if you're if you're picking in the top five, I think you're feeling pretty good about your odds of getting a really impactful player out of this. Um, you know, a long-term tentpole type player. Uh, as many as five or six, maybe, at the top of this draft. I would agree with that, and... You know, I think the the early thinking in this was that, you know, whether it's Cade Cunningham or or uh, Evan Mobley or Jalen Green or what have you, all of these guys would have went number one in the 2020 NBA draft, given the performance uh, of of Lamelo Ball uh, and James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton. I'm not a hundred percent sure that that we'd be saying the same thing now. All of them have come out of the gates and looked looked fairly strong um, at, the, at the start of the season and we're very early into the season. And so maybe the 2020 draft wasn't quite as bad as we thought. That's probably a conversation for another podcast. But um, when we're always comparing drafts, and now that we're able to see some of the 2020 uh, players uh, playing in the NBA, they're looking like best case scenarios, not not the worst case scenarios we were afraid of. A little bit, yeah, although I still, right, I mean, what Wiseman has had moments. I'm not, I'm not sure, like, if he was a five-year veteran, I'm not sure you would say he's playing well right now, uh, but, he, but he's had moments where he's shown his potential, and I think the same thing's been the case with Edwards. Uh, LaMelo Ball's been maybe a little more solid uh, both ways and has maybe a little more ceiling. But will any of these guys play in an all-star game? I think I think that still very much remains to be seen. Well, that is the excitement about the 2021 draft is that several of these prospects project as potential franchise cornerstone players. And I, I want to get into that with you and, and get your first impressions on what you've seen uh, from some of the freshmen. And, and I think we'll, we'll talk about a few uh, of the returning um, players as well. And we also have this complication. And John, I, I thought this would be fun to speak about. We have a G League uh, team, the G League Ignite. Uh, that's playing right now. So far, teams have not been able to see them practice. They have been able to see some scrimmages um, via video, but that's a little bit different. And just in general, this is a very different scouting landscape with a lot of teams not sending their scouts live to games because of COVID-19. A lot of NBA executives afraid to travel because of COVID restrictions and the bubble protocols that are in place and their individual teams, which are are causing them not to get out on the road um, and do scouting. How much do you think all of that affects the ability of NBA scouts to get a really strong handle on this year's class? 
So I think it affects them in two ways. One, uh, there's a lot of information sharing that happens in the two hours before the game starts. Uh, you can talk to a lot of people with the program. You can talk to other scouts. You can talk to other people who are uh, maybe not scouts, but are associated with the game that's going on, whether they're announcers or media or other, other people. And, and you lose all that. So there, there's a lot of information sharing that doesn't happen because of that. And then the second thing you lose is that ability to watch the guy before the game starts. And I think especially with some of these guys who have shooting questions, the thing you really want to do is the, like that ability to watch a guy take 100 shots pregame instead of just relying on the four you see him take in a game or whatever, it is so valuable. And you lose that uh, in this environment. I think especially with some of these, like a Scotty Barnes, for example, I want to see him shoot as many times as I can and figure out to myself, okay, why are the percentages so low? What's broken about this shot? What's fixable? What's the pathway towards him becoming a good shooter when he's 25? And, and you lose a lot of that context. Yeah, I think that those are... Those are some really challenging things uh, as well, as, as well as there's just some scouts that just believe that seeing a player in person, being able to measure them up physically, uh, being able yeah. to watch the flow of the game, is, it's just a different experience than tape. And, and of course, all NBA teams use both uh, of those tools, but to, to lose those in-person uh, insights seems like a real challenge. And then, and then the G League poses a unique challenge in that we have nothing to gauge it against, right? What these players are doing and the competition that they're playing against, um, we started to get a little bit comfortable about you know players that were going overseas and playing in different sort of competitive leagues. This is a whole new um, experiment with the G League Ignite. And it'll be interesting to see how much teams value what a Jalen Green uh, is doing, for example, in those G League scrimmages and games? I think teams actually have a pretty decent barometer for what to put on that uh, because we've been scouting the, I say we, I mean, I'm not with the Grizzlies anymore, but teams have been scouting the G League for so long, uh, looking for players to call up and scouting uh, other teams' draft picks playing in the G League and their own, that there's you kind of know where the barometers are in your head. So I, I don't think it's going to be that big a problem uh, for scouts to kind of translate what they're seeing into what that means at the NBA level. And where do you think that barometer lies, like compared to playing at a, like a high level, uh, you know, playing in the ACC or the, or the big 12 or the PAC 12 or what have you. Uh, if, if a, if a Jalen green, for example, is is putting on a dominating performance in the G League. How how roughly does that translate to if he was doing it at Duke or Kentucky? Oh, I mean, I think that's definitely worth more than doing it at Duke or Kentucky. Yeah, um, because the I mean, the average player that he's playing against is massively better than than the average player he'd be playing against in, in a college program. And the the only thing you miss, I guess, is seeing him go against really high level talent that maybe that one matchup a year where it's okay. Pretend Kentucky was still good. Like when it's Duke Kentucky or whatever, um, th like that, that kind of matchup where there's, you know, 10 first round draft picks on the floor and you're watching them play in that environment. That's the only thing you miss, but that's two games out of 30, right? Exactly. Okay. Well, with all that said, let's, let's dive into this draft a little bit and let's start with a guy that I, 
I'm not, there's, I don't think there's a consensus number one player yet. I think it's too early in the season to say that. But, but if there's one guy that's had kind of consistent buzz as being a number one pick in this draft and who, who certainly seems to have backed it up uh, at least somewhat with the start of his freshman season at Oklahoma State, it's Cade Cunningham. What do you think about Cade Cunningham uh, and his prospects uh, as an NBA player? I think they're really good. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing that everyone is looking for, right? The big wing who can handle the ball, make plays for other people and shoots well enough that defenses have to respect him, right? That is the number one thing on every NBA team's checklist. It's the hardest thing to get. And if you have that, generally, it's generally, you can always find the role players to build around it. So to, to me, he he is the, he is my default as the number one guy unless somebody is so awesome that it pushes him down or that he displays some failing that we haven't seen yet that causes his own stock to drop. So it's it's the weighing the positionality, the the value of the position that he plays in the current NBA that means all things being equal between all these players, you take the six eight uh, wing who can do everything. Absolutely. Every single time. And if are there any concerns that you're seeing right now about Cunningham early on? His turnovers have been, uh, you know, pretty yeah. high. You know, for example, uh, it there there is at least some question about, OK, he's a good athlete, but he's certainly not a, a super he's not, explosive He's not like athlete. a su- Yeah. Yeah. So am I drafting this guy, number one, who's maybe not a super freak athlete? And then because of that, does he only top out as a pretty good player rather than at number one, you're hoping you get an all-star, right? You're hoping you get a perennial all-star. So if you're if you're taking somebody who can't be that, that maybe kills your buzz a little bit. Uh, that I think those are definite concerns, definite things for people to, to monitor over the course of the season. I know there's usually some statistical indicators that can give you a hint uh, at whether the athleticism is going to be on par um, to go uh, to go at it at the next level. Any any red flags that you're seeing with Cunningham early on uh, in the I mean, season? That, nothing glaring. I mean, he's you know he's he's got a high rebound rate, decent steal rate, uh, draws fouls. Uh, you know that you you wish he'd be a little more clinical inside the arc in terms of being a finisher. That'd probably be the one thing. Again, again, I think that I think that points to maybe that he's not a super duper athlete. I think the the one interesting thing too that you have to take, and I'm curious how this factors in for you, he's not on a very good basketball team. Uh, there there aren't any other NBA prospects on this team, which mean any and he's and he's going to be playing in a, in a in a in a seriously good conference uh, again. So so teams can game for him, game plan for him every night. Um, right. It's it's all about stopping Cade Cunningham. Oklahoma State isn't going to be very effective without him. And that's just not true for some of the other prospects that we're going to talk about. And, and and typically, you know, on loaded Duke or Kentucky teams in the past or whatever, where there's, you know, multiple blue chip um, players. It, it To me, it makes it even more impressive what he's been able to do every night, because really every defense has just one game plan coming in. Stop Cade Cunningham and you're probably going to beat this team. And he's still putting up these numbers every night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you point out, it's going to get harder. The Big Twelve is always a tough league and a and a deep tough league where it's not just Kansas. It's they they always have six seven teams in the Ken Palm top twenty, and they're usually all staggered toward the defensive end of the floor for some reason too, right? Like if you if you just looked at the defense rankings, like the Big Twelve would be the best conference every year, right? So I I think. 
I think because of that, he's certainly going to get tested quite a bit in, in these coming games. It's going to be really interesting to see how he handles it. Let's talk about two other players that, in talking to NBA uh, scouts, NBA general managers, if there's competition for Kate Cunningham. I don't really know any scout, by the way, or general manager that doesn't have Kate Cunningham like one like one, two or three. Um, and most of them, I think right now have him one, but there are a couple of names that are, are, are in the mix right now who have, who are off to really great starts. And let's start by one that I think was a little bit of surprise based off of where people sort of had him ranked in high school to what he's done early in the season. And that's Jalen Suggs, um, uh, out of Gonzaga. Uh, what do you think about his, uh, NBA prospects? Uh, I am, uh, very encouraged by what I've seen from him as well. Yes. I, I think he's, he's a guy who realistically you probably have to have in the top three on the board. Uh, I think his feel at the defensive end is really good. Like he has this like cornerbacks closing speed kind of where he, ha- he has this anticipation for steals and the ability to get his hands on balls, uh, some tremendous full court passes, maybe not quite as, uh, deft or crafty in the half court uh but that will hopefully come been been pretty good as a finisher again he's playing on a dominant team which it sometimes that makes it harder to evaluate because the game's just so much easier for for guys like that uh biggest question is probably the shooting it's held up so far you know 43% from 3 on fairly low volume 67 from the line we'll 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 see how that holds up I mean, pretty pretty good prospect overall. Though I mean, he's got some size to him too, where he can succeed at one or two potentially, which gives you which gives you some outs if he if he ends if you know if things go in a little different direction than maybe you thought. It's nice to have some uh, some some resiliency in kind of your your estimate of what the player is going to be, where, where he has multiple ways to succeed. Yeah, that's one of the things I think, too, versatility matters in the NBA. I do think Suggs can play uh, both the one and the two, and and you could certainly see him, as you said, if, as playmaker, that doesn't really pan out, still being uh, a guy that, because of he's aggressive, and I, I, he's a little bit more of a live wire than Cade Cunningham. If there's one thing, I think there's a little bit of an aggression to him. There's a, a certain you know toughness and sort of drive uh, to win that you see the competitiveness, which I know is something that's that's harder to quantify statistically, but generally NBA GMs and scouts uh, and coaches love that. Um, and NBA prospects and and sort of that toughness, that drive that that not only do you love to win, but that you hate to lose. Yeah, uh, big, big time rebound numbers, too. And he is playing on the flip side on one of the most loaded college basketball teams I've seen um, in, a, in a long time. I mean, uh, we're not going to do the foolish Gonzaga could beat Oklahoma State or, or beat, you know, the worst teams in the NBA. That's foolish. But this is a very dominant college basketball team and very well put together uh, in a way that there's not a lot of flaws there. And that does make it easier on Suggs than if, if let's say, we had put him on Oklahoma State and asked him to do what Kate Cunningham uh, is being asked to do every night. Absolutely. I also think it means that you can't be discouraged on nights where Jalen Suggs doesn't put up big numbers because he doesn't have to uh, at Gonzaga either. And there are plenty of other uh, weapons uh, on this Gonzaga team. And, you know, part of his job is to win basketball games, not just to, to stuff a stat uh, sheet every night. And so I, I think, you know, for some of the people like, well, look at this night or whatever, look at the team he's on and ask that he help him win. And uh, I, I think he's really good at that. 
Let's talk about Evan Mobley. I, I know I know you're not a big big guy guy, and I know that you know part of your mantra last last year in the draft was the surprise again at how many centers went in the draft, how many big guys um, overall were drafted. But Evan Mobley to me looks like if you're going to pick a big man that could thrive in the NBA, Evan Mobley looks like a prototypical. Uh, NBA big man. What do you think about uh, the big guy out of out of USC? Yeah, pretty encouraging. I mean, he is skilled, right? Like he can put it on the floor. He can he can shoot with either hand around the basket area. Uh, looks like a pretty decent passer too. Uh, has shown some ability to make a three. I think he's made uh, a small handful of three pointers this year. For he's made five three pointers in nine games. Okay, uh, so. You, you see some like elements of, of Chris Bosch in him. And I, I think that that part is really good. And I think I, I didn't get a chance to see him really exposed on the perimeter much to, to, um, to really come to a determination on how I feel about his feet yet. Uh, but if he's like that switchable big who you could almost play as a, as a four or play against fours, um, I think that adds a lot of value too. Uh, biggest question I see is kind of in the physicality, uh, not a great rebounder gets pushed around a little bit. Uh, he's skinny, but he's also kind of upright, which hurts him too. Like you want him to get lower and be able to hold his position a little better. So, and maybe those are things that a team's, uh, physical development guys can, can work on him with. But I mean, certainly a, a huge talent. I mean, th- it clearly belongs in the top three at this point. So you you think even even given the position, and and the fact that we're going to talk about a, a number of other versatile wings in a minute, because this draft, if it has one thing, is that six eight six nine guy who yeah. can handle the ball and do everything. There's there's a lot of those uh, prospects in this draft. Given what what he's doing, you, you've got him in your top three. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just I just think the the skill proposition is, is high enough that it, that it warrants putting him there. And, you know, obviously this is very early days and I'm still getting my impressions on these guys. So I, I reserve the right to change my opinion, but, uh, this, that's probably how I feel today. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. That's John Hollinger of the athletic. We're talking 2021 NBA draft. When we come back, we're going to talk about some other prospects, um, that we have as potential lottery picks, lots of, lots of freshmen uh, to talk about. Uh, When we come back, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, Apple Almond Crisp, that's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot, about what he puts into his system. I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And 
So go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we're back with John Hollinger talking 2021 NBA draft. And before we jump in, 2020 is mercifully over. It's time for a fresh start and a few more wins. If you're betting this year and want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They are picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcast. We're not going to bet yet on who's going where in the 2021 NBA draft. As John said, sample size is still a still a factor here. And most of these prospects have played, depending on what we're talking about, six to 10, to 10 games. And in a few cases with our G League prospects, they've played a couple of scrimmages. And I want to go with a guy that um, some high school scouting uh, uh, sources had him ranked as the top player in his uh, in his class, he went to the G League uh, Ignite team. It's Jalen Green, uh, a, a, a consummate scorer, uh, but one of those guys that maybe, like Anthony Edwards, there's there's some questions coming into the draft about what else um, he does uh, besides you know besides looking for a shot. What do you think about his prospects in the NBA? Uh, I don't have I don't have a lot to tell you about Green and Kuminga, honestly, because I haven't really I hadn't really seen th- them in high school. We didn't have the Hoop Summit this year. We didn't have the the Jordan game, uh, and and then obviously we I haven't had access to their film from the Ignite scrimmages. So there's still a blank slate to me. But my d- default from everything I heard is that okay, they're probably top five guys, but I, I don't really have anything to add to that. All right, well, we'll come back to you on that once we start getting more uh, public access to that as well. All I'm hearing are rumblings from teams. I haven't seen the the scrimmages either, but I've talked to teams that have, and and overall, I think that they were very impressed with Kaminga, uh, and in part because I think they'd seen less of him. Uh, frankly, than they'd seen a Jalen Green. And Jalen Green, at least early on, was sort of as advertised. Everything that you sort of thought about him in high school was what, what he showed for good and for bad uh, in those couple of scrimmages. But we'll luckily or hopefully, um, once they get into the uh, once they get into their regular season, be able to see more of him. Let's go to a guy that I have six on my board, which I think is somewhat controversial. Uh, this is uh, this is the sort of Patrick Williams for me of this draft, and that he's not going to put up the same numbers I think as some of the other prospects, but on on sheer athletic upside, um, he is a tantalizing prospect. Maybe the best athlete in this draft. Maybe the best athlete uh, since uh, we saw Zion Williamson um, coming out of the draft, and that's Greg Brown um, out of Texas, uh, a, a guy who's still learning his position on the wing. Uh, and Texas has, has put him there out of need, and he's had been up and down uh, all season. But when he's been up, he's been uh, pretty spectacular. Yeah, so I think this really illustrates the point that 
this draft is looking really top heavy right now because I think there are five guys that everyone feels pretty good about. And then you get to six, seven and everyone's kind of like, like, uh, like some of these other one and dones that I think people thought might move up to, to solidify this portion of the draft have kind of gone backwards instead. And there aren't a lot of upperclassmen that people feel great about. And so out, once you get past this top five, I do think there's quite a bit of drop-off right now. We'll see over the course of the year if other players are able to establish themselves as lottery-type picks. But I think this, this is the nervous spot of the draft for sure. And what do you think about Brown uh, as a— in, in, ter- in terms of Brown in particular, when I watch him— I see he's a guy where you stop, where you kind of hit stop on the recorder and go, who the hell was that guy? Like you just see him do so, you know, just jump for a rebound or, or go up in the lane or something. You're like, whoa. Uh, I mean, clear, clear NBA athleticism without a doubt. Uh, feel for the game is miles away. Uh, has one assist on the season against 25 turnovers. Uh, shoots it okay. Still kind of getting that part. He'll probably eventually be a decent shooter. He is a good rebounder, uh, you know, athlete around the rim type. So I, I do think there's a lot to like there and a lot to say this guy can still get considerably better. And this might be the point in the draft where he where he makes sense. Um, again, he's a guy I think teams are going to want to watch his evolution over the course of the season. I try not to get too high or low on the freshmen, especially early in the season, because a lot of them, you can see them in March and they'll look dramatically different than they did in December. And he might be one of those guys. Uh, Certainly, I think you, you, the way I described James Wiseman last year was when you see him go through the layup line once, you already know he's a lottery pick because it's like just off the run jump size. And I I think Greg Brown's kind of the same type of thing. And you just have to see how the the actual basketball playing comes along in the, in the second half of the year. I think the good news for him is one he's on a very good Texas team. He's got well coached. I mean, they're they beat asking. Kansas, so clearly they're awesome, right? Uh, yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, they're not they're not asking him to do too much, and and I think that they're doing him a favor playing him on the wing. I think his comfort level in high school was playing more as a, as a four. Um, but he he projects more. I, he goes higher in the draft if he can project as a wing. And so he, I think he's doing things for the first time on the basketball court that I think you see it, right? The basketball IQ isn't quite year, there yet. The comfort comfort level isn't there yet. But if you watch him from the first game of the season, because I've been intrigued with him since high school, and, and even the evolution just in, in these past 10 games, you see it starting to click with him a little bit. I'm really excited to see where he might be um, in March if he keeps going. And and I and I compare him to Patrick Williams, not in that they're the same player, but if you asked people in December whether Patrick Williams was going to be the f- the fourth pick in the draft, uh, you know, a lot of people would have would have laughed at you. Uh, it, but but every scout liked him, and there was the, the the things that were super intriguing because the ceiling was higher than other other prospects out there. And I sort of see that with Brown as well. If you want to if you want to think about just sheer NBA ceiling because of the physicality uh, and the athleticism, it's really really high. Yeah, absolutely. I I do think he's probably a four in the NBA. Uh, but at the same time, that's a that's a perimeter position now. So. I, 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 having him do this stuff at Texas will be beneficial. Let's talk about Scotty Barnes. 
uh, yeah. out of Florida State. Really unique uh, basketball player um, in many ways. Uh, uh, we've had a. Uh, um, some uh, Jeremy Wu describe him as as sort of the second coming of Draymond Green, uh, which I think is sort of an interesting uh, comparison. Uh, really fun to watch. Um, really hard to get the handle uh, on because of some of the shooting and some of the other things on exactly what he is. Yeah, exactly. So he's another guy where you want to see his evolution over the course of the year. Like he's even though he's big, he's he's like a point forward in a lot of ways. So and and but the shooting isn't that great. Uh, he's probably, he's not like, I mean, would you call him like a freak athlete? Probably not. Right. Um, but he's, he's, he's skilled in other ways. Seems to really know how to play, uh, has a, just a good, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Like when you, when you see him play that, that he just, he has the game under control. <laughs> like, I guess, is that what you feel like you feel, you feel okay with him on the ball and, and making the decisions. And, but what, what does that turn into as a, as a pro, is he a bigger Troy Brown or is there something, you know, is there something beyond that, that, that he can get to? Cause that, that combination of not a great shooter plus not a great athlete is, is a tough one. And the, the, that's, that's where the questions start up. I, I, I like him. I think this is probably his spot, you know, around, around seven right now. Uh, and, and I think really after, after him that, so there was one, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh stair step in this draft. When, when you went to Greg Brown, I think there's another one after Barnes maybe. And I, I personally like him, but there are warts here. Uh, is, uh, I had one scout. I thought this was an interesting comparison because I, I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison. Uh, but I'm not sure with Scotty Barnes, you you find an exact apples to apples comparison. But is is he kind of a, a smaller Kyle Anderson? Is he is he a kind of a smaller slow mo? Yeah, maybe that's interesting. Yeah, because Kyle Anderson was a point center at UCLA basically, and. This, this he's maybe not quite that role for for Barnes, but it's something kind of close to it. Uh, now Kyle never shot forty two percent from the line; it, it was never quite that situation. So we'll see we'll see what happens with Scotty Barnes's uh, shooting numbers as the year goes on. Big red flag. Let's talk about now another big wing who can handle the ball and has a questionable jump shot, but there's some intrigue, and that's Jalen Johnson. Um, out of Duke, another another prospect that that some scouts really like. Uh, for other scouts, they're they're very scared. There's there's a lot of warts there. What happens when he gets into the half court is a is a major question. But when he's out in transition, um, he's a really interesting prospect at his size. What do you think about Jalen Johnson? So I probably don't have a lot to offer on him because I I haven't been able to see him and now he got hurt. Um, so. Uh, He's he's one where I'm probably still still drawing a blank for you. Do do you do you think he's a top ten guy? I I think so. Um, it's really hard early in the season. I was really impressed uh, with him coming out of the gate uh, for Duke as a rebounder, as a passer. Uh, as teams started to adjust to him uh, and and make him play in the half court, 
you see the warts there as as a jump shooter um, and just his ability to kind of create his own shot out, out of anything other than transition starts to to break down a little bit. Uh, I'm I'm intrigued with him. Uh, Tony Jones, who's on the show, occasionally loves him. He compared him to young Grant Hill, which uh, I, I think. Uh, is an interesting, wow. if he's a young Grant Hill, then he's too low. Uh, yeah, on yeah, our clearly. Board. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think with, with you, John, this is one of those things where I was more confident at eight, nine in last year's draft than I am in this year's draft. Now, with that said, it's early. And we had a lot more time to analyze. We had a lot longer track record. We had some some international prospects that were more interesting than they are this year. Uh, so I, I'm sort of with you as far as tiers go. I may put Jalen Johnson in that tier with Scotty Barnes. I think that if you like Scotty Barnes, you could make the argument for Jalen Johnson too. I think in some ways there are some similarities with them as players, uh, but, but there's major, very similar questions um, as well. How about when we come back, We'll talk. We'll try to fill out the rest of the lottery. We'll talk about a couple of freshmen that uh, scouts were very high on early in the season that have disappointed, uh, and some uh, college sophomores, juniors, seniors uh, that have really stepped up this year. When we return, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back talking 2021 NBA draft with the Athletics' John Hollinger. We've talked about our candidates for the number one pick in the draft. We've talked about sort of the tier two, maybe tier three guys. Now we're going to sort of round out the lottery a little bit and just talk about some some prospects that that we like. And let's talk about a couple of freshmen that have disappointed uh, compared to expectations. And uh, again, you know, John mentioned this earlier in the podcast. You have to be careful about bailing on freshmen after the first six or 10 games, because sometimes it just takes them a little longer to get things going. Also, this year's freshmen lost the summer uh, to COVID, and they lost the same sort of you know training camp that they might normally get uh, in, in a college basketball season a- a- as well. And so you, know, you may expect them to be a little rustier, and, and some of them certainly have, have been so. Zaire Williams, uh, out of Stanford, uh, another another player that was seen as this sort of versatile wing that could do a lot of things has been very up and down at Stanford and and lately kind of more down than up. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like, that's the easiest way to explain it, I guess. Like, it's just there's a there's a lot of Casey Opala going on here. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, can he can he develop beyond that? Yeah, possibly. I mean, there's there's still a, a tool set there, but he's been plagued by turnovers and hasn't shot well. And the 37% on twos, that's the thing that kind of makes you wonder. And the one thing that he doesn't have going for him is he lacks an NBA body uh, to begin with, right? And so, you know, there's, you know, major questions too about his physicality coming into the league. And then when you when you struggle the way that he struggled early on, uh, it's it, it, it definitely makes you wonder whether he's he's a year away. Yeah. And 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 whether 
and, and I know nobody wants to do this, and I know anybody anymore that thinks that they're going to be drafted, period, wants to come into the draft. But Zaire Williams, and, and again, things could change. We may be talking completely different about him in March if, if things start to really click. But right now, he looks like one of those early candidates that he just needs another year to get stronger, uh, to, d- to develop more. And yeah. you could you could say the same thing about another guy who even had some buzz as a potential number one pick early on, partly because he was going to Kentucky and partly because, like Harrison Barnes, he seems to run his own hype machine quite well, which was B.J. Boston. And uh, yeah. the hype was so high and the production has been so disappointing. Uh, Kentucky fans have turned on him. What do you think about B.J. Boston? I feel like it's really hard to evaluate Kentucky's guys this year. I mean, it it always is, but it is more this year because just that whole offense is so screwed up. There's no spacing at all. So anyone who has kind of these slashing characteristics just has no place to go. Right. So it's it's in almost a it's almost a perfect situation to make him look bad. Uh he he has not looked good, certainly. And uh, but but you still see some of that, you know, the body, the length, the fluidity. I, th- I think as you get to the middle part of the first round, I, st- I think there's still teams that, that would want to take a swing at that uh, as as rough a year as it has been for for really all these Kentucky kids. He's one for sure that based off what he did in high school, it's possible that the shooting's been an aberration. He's really struggled with his three point shot. Um, this year. Uh, he wasn't known as a lights out shooter in high school, but he certainly wasn't known as a horrific shooter, which is what he's sort of been uh, for the most part um, at Kentucky. And those things tend to sort of even themselves out over time. Players can be incredibly hot and then go through a cold streak, or they may start with a cold streak and then they may start hitting their shots. And Kentucky's struggled to hit shots all year. And there's really nothing you can point to and say, Okay, well, he hasn't been hitting threes, but he's done this other thing exceptionally well, right? So, so that's what that's what makes it harder too. He's just he's just been a guy, right? And uh, which I mean, as a freshman in the SEC, that's still something, right? But yeah, it just even even if you look beyond the the three point, which probably is fluky, he's five for thirty one on threes, I think, but he's a seventy seven percent foul shooter, so you, you got to think he'll make more of those, but. Even just the impact in the other areas just hasn't been there. You don't even have sort of those clips of like, oh, wow, but did you see that one play? Any other freshmen that have stood out to you that you want to talk about uh, early in the season? I think there'll be more freshmen than we've talked about taken in the first round. And maybe uh, even in the, in the lottery, uh, one that stands out for me is uh, is North Carolina's uh, De'Ron Sharp. Uh, who isn't particularly skilled, but just has such a high energy level and such a high motor um, that he seems to impact the game. Anybody that's really stood out to you early on? You, you know, I I haven't seen LSU yet, uh, but Cameron Thomas is uh, putting up some numbers that are that are quite interesting. Let's say uh, as a as a scorer. Uh, so so that that that's that's one that kind of gets your attention. Uh, Moses Moody from Arkansas. He's been, uh, he's been good, but not a, not a super athlete. You don't really feel, uh, feel him impacting the game in ways beyond scoring. So it's hard for me to get too excited about that. Uh, and I guess the other, uh, the, the two kids on Tennessee Springer and, uh, and 
Johnson. Yeah. Like they, I don't know. They've been, they've been all right. It's, it's tough on that Tennessee team because they have so many guys. Uh, it can be tough for a guy to really stand out on a team that good. Uh, they're guys that I think you're definitely on the, are on the list of like, Hey, let's monitor this guy. Let's see what he does in the second half of the season. Let's see if he takes more steps forward. Uh, I think, I think both of them certainly have to be in the conversation for getting into the top 20. Yeah, and I think I think Keon Johnson's probably there uh, in that conversation just based off of what he did in high school and based off his athleticism. He's been coming off the bench along with Springer at Tennessee, but did work his way into the starting lineup, and and maybe that's going to be um, something that we're going to see early on, and he's going to play a bigger role going forward. Let's let's move on now and talk about some returning college basketball players. And you know, every year I get a few readers that are like, "Why why do you guys favor freshmen so much?" You know, every year. And I, I think there's just sort of this lack of understanding that almost anybody that can can play in the NBA, the minute that they can go to the NBA, they go. And and so we're sort of left when we're talking about returning college players, we're left with sort of the guys that that didn't all honestly feel like they could get drafted in the first round or maybe even in the second round. So to, so just to project them now as lottery picks or first rounders because they've moved up a season, it's it's actually harder to do because of just the way that the NBA teams evaluate and just the cycles now about when underclassmen decide to declare for the draft. You uh, wrote an article in The Athletic really before the season began with a few guys that you're going to watch. And the first guy that you mentioned has has been on fire. Um, very prophetic. Uh, James Booknight out of uh, out of Connecticut, um, one one of the top ball- college basketball players in the country this year, and certainly a guy who looks like he has worked his way um, into certainly the lottery conversation, if not if not the top ten. Yeah, and I, I mean, I we should say I was not alone on this, right? <laughs> like like Booknight Island was getting pretty crowded toward the end of UConn season last year. And just such a natural scorer. Uh, r- reminds you of Jamal Crawford, maybe a little bit. Uh, just a guy who can he can he can shoot well enough, but his ability to beat his defender off the dribble, uh, use long strides, finish at the cup, has a lot of different finishes he can use when he gets to the rim. Good athlete, not a great athlete, but I, I think I think he's really good in the in the. In, t- in terms of kind of those subtle direction changes and things you need uh, t- to be able to finish against length. And, and he does have long limbs, which, which help him. I mean, six, four, he's probably, he's probably a pure two at this point. The, the passing skills aren't anywhere near the, the scoring skills. You want to see more from him defensively. He has a thin body he needs to fill out a little bit, but he can just flat out score. I think he's definitely worked his way uh, into that conversation, like I said, as a, as a top 10, if not just a lottery pick. One interesting prospect, and, and you also wrote about him early on, and, and you had some positive things and some negative things to say about him, is David Johnson, yeah. uh, the sophomore out of Louisville, who definitely has taken a step um, in the right direction in some areas and has doubled down on some of his weaknesses, like being an, an absolute monster of a turnover machine. I mean, he's just, he's just so wild. I, I just, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a puzzle. He's shooting the ball better this year, which is good. Right. And, and the shot looks fairly legit, at least from what I've seen. Uh, again, this is another one where you want to go in the gym before a game and see him shoot a hundred times. So that's an encouraging sign, but to just have this crazy high turnover rate, I just don't know how you can ever trust him with the ball. And that, that's, that's kind of a big deal to play guard in the NBA. So I, I think that's, that's a thing that's really going to hold some people back from 
from taking him certainly in a lottery type situation. I'm, I'm really interested to see what scouts final evaluation on him is going to be. Cause like you said, there, there are things to like, but then the negatives are, are pretty strong negatives that, that, that are going to work against him too. It's, it's again, I, you know, someone's going to probably, you know, fact check me on this, but it's, it's almost like historic uh, bad on the turnovers for, for a prospect that we're talking about um, as, as a lottery pick. Yeah, especially as a as a guard. I mean, you'll you'll see that from big sometimes, maybe, but yeah, that at at the guard spot is pretty pretty rare. At, at a guard spot, and you know, some people projecting him as a point guard, right? With a with him dominating with the ball in his hands, and he is a creative passer, and and sometimes that's what gets him into trouble, uh, you know, as a player. But you'd hope that maybe moving from a freshman to sophomore, that's the part of his game that gets refined. The basketball IQ improves a little bit. He starts to cut cut down. And in that case, he becomes a very legitimate uh, lottery prospect. And it's, it's, it's eye-opening, uh, to say the least. But again, if you just watch him on the court and, and look at a lot of the things that he does, he does look like an NBA player. Again, where teams ultimately come down on that will be really interesting. And then what coach puts him in the game will be even more interesting. He's another guy where his size gives you an out where maybe he can make it at the two if he can't make it at the one. Let's talk about the top senior on my board, Corey Kispert. Yeah. Out of Gonzaga, uh, who is uh, auditioning for this year's sort of best shooter in the draft, lights out score and shooter uh, as a senior, plays on a loaded team. Uh you know, has maybe the same warts that you would normally uh, think about, uh, you know, a great shooter like that. Maybe he isn't, he's an okay defender, but not an elite defender. He's not an elite athlete. Uh, teams are drafting him because he's shooting 52% from three and uh, at a high volume. Where does he deserve to go in this draft? Yeah, he's an interesting one because I look at him and say, well, if you had him 43rd on your board last year or wherever people had him, it certainly wasn't in the first round then why are you putting him in the top 10 this year? And because, I mean, he's playing better, but I I don't think he's a radically different player from what he was either. And so so that's that's a little bit of a question mark. Now you can start by saying, well, maybe the evaluation from last year was wrong, right? So uh, you, you could start there. I think the biggest thing we've seen from him is the ability to create offense inside the arc. I mean, he's shooting 74% on twos and not all of them are easy looks like he's, he's getting, he's getting himself, uh, putting his body into bigs and, and finishing at the cup, using his left hand, making floaters. So there, there's a variety to his offense that maybe wasn't there before. And so I think it's easier for people to envision Joe Harris type outcomes from him, uh, where he has that size and the ability to shoot on the perimeter, but he's maybe not the guy who's going to run off a zillion screens and take uh, like he's he's to me, he's not Duncan Robinson where he can catch the ball with both feet going away from the basket and then turn around and launch a three. If you look, most of his attempts are with his feet already facing the basket uh, and, and not so much flying off of screens and, and, and being this crazy movement shooter, but he's big. He can do stuff inside the arc. He's a pretty good defender uh, from, from what we've seen at the college level. And I think because of his size, he'll be okay at the pro level because you could put him on threes. You can probably even put him on some fours. So you add all that together and and the league is so shooting crazed. I, I just worry that people are going to get a little too excited, right? Like, like Doug McDermott, the problem wasn't that he wasn't 
an NBA player because he's he's been, but that he got people got so excited that they took him. What was it like ninth in the draft or whatever? And I, I worry about that a little with Kispert, where he he's going to top out as a as a role player, not as a star. So are you are you really feeling okay using a lottery pick on him? Interesting. Who else has stood out for you early in this season uh, as a returning sophomore, junior, senior? Uh, there's some people putting up some really big numbers, but not necessarily great uh, NBA prospects. Uh, I'm thinking specifically about uh, a big man from Iowa uh, yeah. who, yeah. who I, might be the college basketball player of the year and might deserve deservedly so. Um, but does Lou Garza deserve to be a first round pick? I just don't think he can defend in today's NBA. And you really saw that in the Gonzaga game, I thought. Uh and that's been that's been the I mean, I talked to other scouts about him last year, too. And that was the same thing. Virtually everyone said now. I mean, offensively, there's a lot of tools there, right? Because he has stretch capability. He uh, he can put on the floor and get to, get to the rim himself, draws a ton of fouls, any kind of any kind of switch. He's going to obliterate uh, on the block. What you want to see is a little more playmaking for others from him, though, because then you start envisioning more like Brad Miller type outcomes if he really develops as a passer too. Where I think right now he's just a straight up scorer, and then d- defensively he's he's going to get worked in in space, and I think that's a real concern. And maybe you roll the dice on that in the second round, the same way you know Charlotte did on Vernon Carey this year, but to put him in the top thirty, I can't do that. Interesting that. Um... You know, I've had some fans say, well, wasn't this all the say, same thing that you said about Nikola Jokic? Uh, you know, he's going to get destroyed defensively. Um, certainly, Garza isn't anything like the passer that Jokic is. I mean, let's, let, you know, they're, they're a completely different world when that comes. But he's just going to be destroyed defensively. It's why he slides um, into the second round. But he's so skilled and such an effective player uh, that, you know, and some will argue he's a top 10 player in the NBA. Uh, despite that, he's out of shape. Uh, he, he's, he's So the other comparison you could use, I guess, is Ennis Cantor, where you say, you know, okay, Ennis Cantor is horrible on defense, but he, he does enough at the other end that he still has value in the NBA. Where would Ennis Cantor go, uh, you know, in retrospect? He wouldn't go three, uh, no, which is where he no. went uh, in, the, in the draft. <laughs> uh, but he stayed in the league for a while. And so, you know, that's there's going to be guys like this every year that are really, really great college basketball players, but there's something about their game that just just doesn't really translate um, into the NBA. Anybody else that's really stood out for you early on, John, as we sort of wrap this up, a, a guy you're hauling, do you have a Paul Reed uh, coming, coming uh, you, at us you, right you know now? Who, you know who might be my Paul Reed? I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm still developing my, uh, my impressions on all these players. So I, I reserve the right to pull this one back. Uh, have you watched much of David Duke of Providence? I have. He actually made he actually made my big board, uh, and he's a really interesting prospect. I, I have him. Let's see. I have him at twenty four um, right now on my. Oh, board, okay. But it's, okay. But, cert- but certainly somewhere a guy that could potentially. No, go that's than that. that. That's less out of left field than I thought. Then I thought this was a guy that people had like in the seventies. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got size, he can shoot. He kind of plays as a point guard, even though I think he's really a two in the NBA. Uh, like I think there's some, some kind of Joe Johnson in his game 
We, he's not he's not that big we, as as Joe Johnson was, but in terms of he's not super fast, but he can just kind of control the game and plot along. And he's a good he's a good shooter and knows how to play. And he's gotten a lot better over his time at Providence. Unfortunate name, uh, uh, very much. Yeah, it really uh, needs to start going by Dave or or like uh, Fred, or Fred, Fred Duke I, uh, or something. Yeah. I mentioned him on Twitter uh, the other day uh, as I was pu- putting out my my first big board, and I and I definitely got some some very uh, quizzical replies. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, are are you kidding? Is this a joke? Are you kidding me? Uh, unfortunate name. Um, can you talk to me? I, I don't know how much you've watched Illinois. Um, uh, Ayo uh, DeSumo, who's uh, having a huge season as a junior at Illinois. It's funny because it's a little bit the same argument I would have on Kispert, which is if I didn't think this guy was really a hot commodity last year, what's changing my mind this year? Uh, the shooting numbers definitely are better for him so far. We'll see if that holds up. I mean, it's 43 point attempts right now. Uh, you know, he. I, I got I got to watch more uh, more of Illinois before before I really feel good about jumping in on this. But I I just wonder because when I watched him last year, I just didn't see anything that was that was that special. So now now maybe if he's shooting consistently, and you can argue he's a he's a six five combo guard who can knock down shots, maybe maybe that's a different different selling point now, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm probably going to be uh, behind the rest of the crowd on this one. Terrence Shannon, uh, out of Texas Tech. Yeah, I've. I've. He's a guy that I've liked for a while. I. I want to see him develop his right hand. Uh, I mean, he is so le- even beyond the shooting question. He is so left-handed. I just think that's a that's an easy thing uh, for at the pro level for teams to kind of take away. You do see some. Um, progress as a shooter. I mean, he's an 81% career foul shooter. A, uh, he hasn't shot threes frequently, but he's 10 to 26 this year, which is, you know, that's, that's pretty good. And, uh, you can see that, like that first step shot out of a cannon kind of athleticism going to the rim, which is the thing you always want to see from, from a college player. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a Terrence Shannon fan. I think he would probably be in my top. I haven't really written out what my top 30 would be right now. There's so many speculative questions, but I think if I was making one, he'd be in it. All right, he's John Hollinger of The Athletic, breaking down the 2021 first impressions from the 2021 NBA draft. John, we'll bring you back. Uh, let's give it about a month. Yeah, sure. And and, and let's come back and sort of see. Uh, that's hopefully, uh, you never know with COVID, but hopefully that gives us a, a much uh, bigger body uh, as teams are in conference play uh, to be able to see them. And hopefully we'll have some G League returns and some G League games under our belt to to take a look at um, as well. And at some point, John, let's let's get back on a podcast and let's uh, let's look at what those uh, rookies are doing uh, in the NBA and and maybe 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 the sophomores. I, I I listened to our redraft of the 2019 NBA draft and I'm wondering if we might have been a little harsh, a little, <laughs> little, little premature. Well, on- well uh, let me let me get in a promo then because I actually wrote about that today for the Athletic. How uh, some of these sophomores uh, have really taken a step up this year. Yeah, so that, that that let's make that our next podcast, and we'll come back. And and again, it's sample size; it's very early on. You know, these NBA teams have played less than ten games, but definitely, I think would be a fun podcast to just come back and sort of look at what um, both the the rookies and um, the sophomores are doing in the NBA. You're John Hollinger. Uh, you can look. You can check out his latest article 
on on some of the sophomores and and how they're turning the season around in their sophomore season. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.